We have been sharing a theme that I'd just like to give you a synopsis and the touch of today's point. We've been sharing a theme, what is Christianity all about? When we say we're Christians, what, what's the goal? What is it we aim to be? Uh, and Christianity is so vast. The spectrum is so wide. You are talking about Protestants, you were talking, Protestants divided in a million little pieces. You're talking about Catholics, and they've got their own uh, divisions and subdivisions. Uh, you are talking about names that we, could, we couldn't even stop mentioning the many names. Now, this is the situation of Christianity. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not a specialist, but this is what Christianity is to me. Number one, to know Jesus Christ. That's the first step of Christianity. You've got to know him. You've got to know who he is. You've got to know all about him. And the beautiful thing about that is that that's not limited. You go to your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There you have it. In the epistles, an explanation of much of what Jesus taught us in the Gospels. Now that is getting to know him. And it's important. It's important to get to know him. It's important to realize that you can talk with him, you can walk with him, he can be your friend, he will be your friend. I think that was the most overwhelming fact I ever had at the age of 12 or 13 when somebody said to me, Jesus wants to be your friend. I, I was overwhelmed. I, I couldn't believe it. Matter of fact, l let me give you this. I, I thought it was like irreligious. I, I thought it was slightly sacrilegious. I mean, how can God, and then you say God, almost choking, be my friend? Why, my friend is the girl that sits next to me in school. It's the fellow that lends me his pencil when mine breaks. Uh, uh, my friend is the one that runs up the street with me. And then they said, Jesus wants to be your friend. I was so overwhelmed by that. And uh, only to find out that it was true. And that became kind of my little private secret, kind of my little private situation. I have a friend. And that friend developed into the greatest reality I have ever known. I know no one like Jesus. I know no friend like Jesus. I know no steadiness like Jesus. I know no intimacy like Jesus. I know nothing that could ever compare to Jesus, and that's what he wants to be. So to know him is the most important thing. Now number two, and that's today's thought. What else is Christianity? It's to know Jesus, and number two, it's to be like him. You say, wow, oh sister, <laughs> that goal is way beyond me. I can, I can never be like him. Yes, we can. The Apostle Paul said to the early church, imitate me, imitate me. But you see, the early church didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have gospels to see. They didn't have the face of Jesus to contemplate in the scriptures, in his dealings, in his talking. They had the words of a Peter that came by every three or four years. They had the name of an apostle, maybe Apollos, maybe Barnabas, uh, uh, maybe uh, Paul himself. But once the gospels were out after the year 57, we had with us a content of something so perfect 
the putting together by the power of the Holy Spirit of what we today know as the Bible. There was the law and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. And then comes the New Testament. And this is where we get to be like him. Now, in order to be like Jesus, what's the first step? Well, you kind of have to know what he knew. Not in the fullest extent. Don't anybody get frightened. It's the knowledge of truth. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a truth of many truths, but the truth. And this is why in him we have everything you could ever want. I'm always embarrassed when they talk about religion and they say that more blood has been shed in the name of religion than of all the armies that have ever fought for any other reason. To me, that's terribly embarrassing because it, it hurts me to think that men would take the idea of religion or the idea of Jesus or the idea of church to that extreme, to that extent. Okay? No. Listen to what he said. Jesus taught us to walk in the truth. How did he walk in the truth? He prevailed over this first and, and, and the, the greatest need we have. Life out there is full of temptations. Life out there is full of the ugliest things you could ever imagine. And there are things that maybe years ago you said, I'd never do that, and you've already done it. There are situations which you said, I could never be a part of them, and you've already shared in them. Say, well, what is happening? What's happening? Uh, are the morals falling? Are the standards gone? Uh, what is it? Only truth, the knowledge of truth, and the person of truth can help us in times of temptation. That's why you got to know the word, folks. That's why you got to get into the Bible. That's why you've got to read it for yourself. You say, Sister Amy, I read the Bible, but I don't always understand it. I read the Bible, but it doesn't make any sense to me. <coughs> well, for the people that it doesn't make any sense to, I would advise you, get yourself a living Bible. We've got them back there. Get yourself a living Bible. It's an everyday language. That's why some of the religious people and some of the great um, teachers and professors today, uh, you know, they, they look at it and they, they, they just scorn it. But you see, I was a prison chaplain. And I worked as a prison chaplain for 10 years. Matter of fact, the first female uh, prison chaplain for the department system in New York and I remember that uh, the Living Bible was then just coming out it just had a few years and we at prison got a gift matter of fact uh, the company that makes them the Tyndale company uh, Dr. Taylor is the owner of it uh, gave a gift to the prisons of 357,000 living Bibles. We had Bibles all over the place. And so we took the Bible and we gave every inmate one. They liked it. And I'll tell you why. They could understand it. They could read it. The language was not foreign. Uh, the Proverbs were brought up to date. The teachings of Jesus were brought down to the ground floor, a level where everybody could understand. At Bedford Hills, we had kind of a Bible revival. Some people would say to me, I never, I never knew that's what it said. I never knew that's what it meant. I, I, never, I never even knew 
that 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 was in the Bible. And so I say to you today, if you want to be like him, I want to be like him. I'm far away, but I want to be like him. We must do as he did. Prevail in temptation through the word of God, through the knowledge of truth. Be confirmed in his teachings. And what do you mean by be confirmed in his teachings? Let them each day mean more to you than they meant the day before. Because that's the way truth abounds. It doesn't hit you all at once. You don't get the full pressure in one moment. It's not something that uh, happens, uh, uh, what shall we say, instantaneously. The only thing instant in Christianity is salvation. You want it, you're saved. You accept Christ, he comes into your heart. You want him as your savior, he becomes your savior. It's instantaneous. It's upon desire, it's upon want, it's upon surrender. But when it comes to being like him, now that's a process. That is a process. And that process takes time. And I, what I love about it is that uh, uh, don't be afraid of the process. Little by little, little by little, we get to where we're going. Now I said to be like him, number one, the knowledge of truth. Number two is the practice of truth. Let me show you how Jesus practiced truth. They brought him a woman caught in adultery. They said, she's an adulteress. The Bible says, the law says, the Old Testament says that we must stone her to death right now. Wow, that's heavy duty. They hadn't stoned a woman in more than 3,000 years. Do you hear me? They hadn't. But Jesus understood. They weren't after her. They were after him. Because the fine part of the law says, whoever says not to fulfill the law is guilty of the sin. So if this is an adulteress and the law says we must bury her, we must uh, stone her, and he says don't stone her, he's as guilty as she is, and we'll stone him. Probably never touch her. Listen to me carefully. At that moment, Jesus said, you think you know the fine line. You think you know the fine words. Hold steady. I am going to agree with you. We will stone her. Now, he who is without sin, throw the first one. Hmm. The scripture said that from the oldest to the youngest of the rabble-rousing religious crowd that was there started to disappear. One by one. They looked at Jesus as though to say, you don't even know what you're teaching. And away they went. He looked at her. She looked at him. He asked, where are those that condemn you? She says, they're gone. They're not here. Then I love his word. You know what he said? Go and sin no more. Well, that's, that, that's Jesus letting us know how he practiced truth. You don't stone the sinner. The law states that. It was the law in the Old Testament. The law had the, had the work of letting us know what sin is. The Ten Commandments, uh, God didn't give them so every man could die under the weight of Ten Commandments. It's simply that every man would understand uh, what God called sin. You see, we can't leave sin unto us. We love the gray areas. 
We love the, the light blue areas. Uh, we love the mauve areas. Uh, we don't even know what black and white is. Why? Because nothing is that clear. So God says, when it comes to sin, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. And so when you read the Ten Commandments, and they're not over. You say, oh, but that's the law. That's the past. You're true. It is the past. It is the law. But can I tell you something? The law that stands today under grace, Jesus Christ, is so much heavier. It's the law of love. It's not a matter of don't kill your brother. It's a matter of love him. It's not a, it's not a matter of, a, of, of you know, uh, enemies. It's a matter of loving your enemies. I said, wait a minute. You, you think the law was heavy. You should hear Jesus. I mean, he makes it quite different and quite uh, uh, so much more important. Now, I'm telling you this because this is the way Jesus practiced truth. Didn't use it to condemn. Didn't use it to say, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. You, oh, we love that. We love that. No. Now, let's see what else was there. They said to Jesus, we, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You see, if he says no, he is then on very, very dangerous ground with the Roman Empire. Then they could say to Rome and they can say to the leaders of the Roman Empire who were in charge of the land of Palestine, they could say to them, hey, listen, this master, this Jesus says we're not to pay taxes to Rome. So he is against Caesar. You can kill him. You can kill him. And Jesus, I love him. You know what he said? Show me a coin. And whoever the generous buddy was, they showed him a penny. And he says, who's on the penny? And they says, that's the figure of Caesar. Oh, well, Jesus says, give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and unto God what belongs to God. And what does that mean? Well, that simply means the practicing of truth is don't mix the issues. And we love to mix the issues. Oh, we love to, uh, to, to, to make mishmash, make mashed potatoes uh, out of everything. But we can't. Oh, listen, I've got something to tell you, and this is very important. I believe the Word of God. I hate April 15th. I do. I do. You know what? Hard work money, hard-earned money. Now I'm going to support a government that sometimes I'm just not totally in favor of it. Okay? Uh, that sometimes the systems just don't come through for us. Oh, I, I could get you started. We could, we could march today. We could get started. There, well, I have no problems with that. You understand what I mean. But what, what is the practice of the truth? Uh, whose figure is there? Caesar's. Uh, well, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Don't mix the issues. Take care of everything in its rightful order. And then God will bless us. I, I like this one. This one was when the Sadducees and the Pharisees, let me tell you what the Pharisees are. Uh, in, in Bible school, they taught us this little game. Fair I see, Pharisees. These are the people always looking up, very godly, very spiritual. Fair I see. And then there were the others, the Sadducees. Uh, sad you see, okay? Now listen, these didn't believe in eternal life. These did not believe in spirit. These did not believe in heaven. These did not believe...
creían la luz eléctrica. Didn't believe in electric lights. They believed in nothing. In other words, you're just living on earth, make the best of it. Because when the earth swallows you up, the worms will help out. And then in time and in due time, you'll be part of the earth. From the dust you came to the dust you go. And that's it. That's their philosophy, their teachings. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we're going to ask you something. The law says, now that's hitting the Pharisees. The law says that if a man marries, a Jewish man marries, and he doesn't have any children, the next single brother should marry the widow so that the name will go on. We're talking about genealogies. We're talking about the name of families. Okay? Well, listen, Jesus. In this case, this man died and his brother married her. And guess what? The brother died. The second brother died. And you know what, Jesus? He died, married the third brother. Goes down to seven brothers. Now, you and I know. If the third one was smart, he would have skipped town. I mean, you're not, you're, going to stay, you're not going to stay around waiting for this. And they said, and then the Sadducees said, well now, Jesus. <laughs> because this way they could kick their brethren in the teeth, the Pharisees, and be the smart Alex of the great show. They said, well, Jesus in heaven. Whose wife is she? Whose wife is she? Seven of them married her. And I love Jesus. Jesus said to him, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. He said it so gently, you err. That means it's not a belch, it's you made a mistake. <laughs> you made a mistake. You err. Not knowing neither the word of God nor the power of God. There is no power released without the word. Keep that in mind. Many people want to go out and do great things for God. We'll open blind eyes. We'll make the lame to, uh, to walk. Uh, uh, we'll touch people and they'll be healed. Uh, oh, we'll be the miracle workers. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. Power comes through the word, through truth. And if you don't have truth in the word, you can't do it. So don't even play around with the thought. I love my Jesus. You err not knowing the word of God nor the power of God. Folks, to be like him. Number one, to have knowledge of truth. Number two, to practice truth. And number three, to give time for the assimilation of truth. Give time for the assimilation of truth. That's why church cannot be a place where everybody looks the same. Because not everybody's in the same stature spiritually. There are things that are across the board. I'll, 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 I'll reason with you. Thou shalt not kill. Hey, that's across the board. Whether you just walked in or you walk in a, a month later, the word of God says don't kill. But when it comes to our growth, when it comes to our knowledge in God, when it comes to our walk with God, hey, everybody's in a different place. And that's so beautiful. What does that mean? That means we've got to have a lot of mercy and love for one another. We've got to care for one another. There are things that will affect some tremendously that others can glide by. There are others that there, there are certain situations that, that might just uh, devastate them. And there are others that have just moved a rung ahead or two rungs ahead. And they're hanging in there with all of their strength. I share this with you people 
because I want you to know that Jesus never forced his disciple into a prayer circle. No. Jesus sometimes prayed all night in the hills. Jesus sometimes woke up before daybreak and he was outside praying. Jesus sometimes found little gardens and he'd steal away from the people and even from his disciples to pray. There is not one moment in the Gospels other than Gethsemane where he says, have you not been able to wait with me one hour? Other than that, you never find him saying, okay boys, it's prayer time now. Everybody in there. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Never. Never. Why? Because they weren't ready. They weren't even ready in Gethsemane. What'd they do best? They slept. They slept. Every time he came for the three times that he prayed, they were sound asleep. Folks, let me tell you something else he never did. He never forced them to fast. You know how we say, well, no, tomorrow we're going to have a day of fasting and prayer. That's fine. Whoever is ready to fast, fast. But you can't pin anybody down to do it. It's according to the spirit. It's according to the surrender. It's according to what, how you see it. And I love the master. He'll give you time to grow. He'll give you space to grow. He'll lift you up to a place that's a plateau where you can see the wonders of living in him, of loving him, of walking with him. And everything you know that he wants you to do will be an absolute pleasure. And if it's not a pleasure... We will be obedient. Because not everything is a pleasure, but we will be obedient. And there's another thing he didn't want us to do. To impose the truth that he's made to us in our thinking on anybody else. Let people get there. Some people say, no, 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 no. You have to think like we all think. <laughs> I've heard some Christian arguments that I don't even stop to saddle them. I walk away. I walk away because I know I'm not going to be able to settle them. You see, we would like to see everybody that walks in and accepts the Lord, we would like to see them within a week's basis looking like us, talking like us, acting like us. And that's what people do. They'll get themselves their first big Bible. They'll get themselves looking like what everybody else in the church looks like. And all of a sudden, we've got a march of the imitators. And everybody wants to look like everybody else. Maybe I know that so well because that's where I came from. I came from a place where we were all alike. I came from a place, but let me tell you something. Even in that place, Jesus Christ reached my heart. Do you understand what I mean? If you're really hungry for God, if you really love the Lord, if you really want Him, Nothing will stand in your way. The only thing is that later when you get into the word, when you get into the truth of God, when you get into the Bible and you realize, hey, wait a minute, this is not that way. That's okay. There's the process. There's the process. Move out quietly. Move out quietly and deal quietly as God goes showing you the truth. You'll be a happy Christian. Don't let anybody girdle you. Don't let anybody tie you in a million knots. Hold steady. Hold steady. There are three things you've got to do. Pray. Read your Bible. Have some quiet times with the Lord. What does that mean? It means don't pray. Don't ask for anything. Just sit down and say, Jesus, I love you. I love you so much. I love you. I don't fully know you. I want to know so much more about you. You're, almost, you're fathomless to me. But I love you. I really do. 
And when any thoughts come in your mind, just swat them like you swat flies. Boom, out. Jesus, I love you. And the, you know, the things you haven't eaten in a year come up. And the people you haven't seen in a century come up. And things you've got to take care of uh, when you're praying. Do you, know, do you realize what happens when you're praying? A million things show up. You know, that's why some people have systemized praying. And I can understand it. I can understand systemized praying. Because when you start to pray on your own, and when you start to talk to God on your own, you can wander through Sherwood Forest. And if you're not careful, you'll find Robin Hood. You really can. So this is why it is so urgent that we grow on our own. Say amen.